Thanks, Thad. Amen. Praise the Lord for you guys. It's now time for Children's Church. So if you're pre-K through third grade, you've got your, your palm branches in hand. You can wave those as you come down. Yeah, you wave them. Wave them in the air. Hosanna, right? You can respond. We got to get ready for Easter. Next week's a big Sunday for us. So uh, we're going to do something different. Usually we say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's say this morning, let's try it together. Hosanna. And then you say Hosanna in the highest. Okay. So Hosanna. There you go. You're ready for Easter. It's going to be a big Sunday for us. Always is. Always will be for Christ followers as as we uh, celebrate the risen Savior. Uh, We got a lot going on this week. It is an incredible week of the Passion. If you were here last Wednesday night, we did a Passover meal together with Shoshana from uh, Brooklyn, New York. It was an incredible time. Hopefully next year we'll do a full meal with the whole church together. This Friday is our um, Good Friday experience, and we're going to walk through some of these events of the last week of Jesus' life. And during one of those events, and we'll walk through this together, I think it's the first station in the experience, but it is Palm Sunday. Hosanna! There you go. Just making sure you're on your toes. We've got to be ready. But the king has come. The Messiah, the long-awaited one, is here. That's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. The people of Jerusalem are ready to welcome in their king. And that's why some of our kids are holding those palm branches in hand, declaring the victory in Jesus himself, right? Those palm branches were to declare the victory for the king. And Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah that he will come on the colt of a donkey. They're laying their cloaks in the road. You can imagine it. They're laying down their palm branches. They're laying down their their clothes, whatever they have in the road. As Jesus walks or rides on the colt of the donkey. And they laid down these cloaks like they did in the days of Jehu who was king in Israel, whom Elisha had anointed as king, as directed by the Lord. And they're shouting the word, Hosanna! All right, we, 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 we got to get ready, all right? We got to get ready. Hosanna! There you go. The meaning of the term, save us. Save us now. Psalm Chapter 118, the people believe that Jesus is from God. As they shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They believe he is the promised Messiah, the son of David, whose kingdom will never end. 
And they shout, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. I'm going to read it for you from the book of Mark, the account of of Mark. We're going to be doing a deep dive into the book of Mark in the upcoming weeks. You know, you know when you go to the ice cream store, Baskin Robbins is, is one of my favorites, but you go to the ice cream store and you, and you, you don't know which ice cream to pick, right? You, you're looking at them and you're going, oh, that one looks good, this one looks good. And so you just ask for one of those little pink spoons, right? And you say, hey, give me the pink spoon and, and I'll take the raspberry chocolate thing right there. I don't even know what it's called and I'll try it. Well, that's what we're going to do these next two weeks is we're going to taste a little taste tester spoon of Mark from the Word of God, okay? So don't, don't worry, your, your double and your triple cone, it, it will be here as we preach through the book. It may take us a long time to do that, but you'll get that. But we're going to get these next two weeks to just taste of the book of Mark. But I'm going to read from... <coughs> The Palm Sunday version. This is in our text this morning, so we're not going to stand yet. But I'm going to read to you what happened on Palm Sunday. Mark chapter 11, verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and those who went before and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Here it is together with me, church. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Every single sentence that Mark writes has purpose. He doesn't waste words in the book of Mark. If you, if you read the book of Mark, he doesn't give you all the details, but he gives you enough. And Jesus walks into the city of Jerusalem where God has placed his name. The temple dwells there. The, the, God is among the people as Jesus walks into The city. The people recognized this moment in which God had promised that the Messiah would come, and now they are affirming his kingship. The victory is ours. The king has come. God's kingdom is here. We see at the time, the people were under a great and mighty ruler, they were under the Roman Empire. The people anticipated a deliverance from Rome. They anticipated a day like the kings of, of David, the day of King David and King Solomon, where they had rest and everyone had their own fig tree and vine, meaning they had everything that they needed. 1 Kings 4.25 says this, Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. But Jesus came not to deliver 
his people from the empire of Rome. But ultimately from the ruler who was behind the empire of Rome. Over and over again throughout the book of Mark, Jesus said to his disciples and to the people, the Messiah must suffer and die as the suffering servant. But as David read earlier from John, the disciples couldn't see it. They did not understand what was to take place. Mark 10, 33 and 34, Jesus said, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days... He will rise. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. But they could not see it. They could not imagine that this is how God would choose to bring about his victory over sin and death. And before the people led him to be crucified... The Roman soldiers, as Jesus said, he would be given over to the Gentiles. He was given over to the Roman soldiers who gathered around him. About 600 Roman soldiers. And as we learned earlier, Herod had already mocked him. And these Roman soldiers are copying what King Herod had already done, who was the supposed king of the Jews. And they put a purple robe on him and a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him as the king. A truly horrific and despicable sight. That one week earlier, the people had welcomed him in as the king. And now they're mocking him as the king. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Let's read our text this morning in Mark chapter 15, verse 16 through 18, as we see the king in victory by defeat. Mark chapter 15, verse 16. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on him. And they began to salute him, hail king of the Jews. And as they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. 
It's our text this morning. You can be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we humble ourselves to see the work of Christ, to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Almighty God, by His word, the heavens were created, humble Himself, take on flesh, and dwell among men. Not just to dwell among men, but to be a servant, and not just any servant, but to be humiliated and to die on a cross for me and for you. Father, we just ask that you would remind us of the great power and might of God, the things that we cannot see, the things that you can see, the things that are hidden from us, and yet the work that you are doing in your might and your power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We spend most of our Saturdays, these spring, cold yet hot, not unsure of whether it's cold or hot yet, days on the soccer field. And you never know what you're going to find on the soccer field. There's thousands of fields, thousands of kids, thousands of parents running around. There's orange peels, there's own goals. In the little kids arena, arena, someone said, We had a game without tears, so mission accomplished, right? Mission accomplished, no tears this game. In the older kids area, you could find, um, you could find kids slide tackling or missed calls or yelling at the uh, referee or corner kicks. And a lot of coaches, I mean fans, excuse me, coaches, fans, I'm not sure where they're, what they are, but they're fans that think that they could coach better than World Cup coach, right? And then, but there was one question this weekend as I'm watching our kids and, and being a fan and my wife is coaching that caught my attention. In the last game my kids played and the question was asked, why would God give me asthma? Which as a pastor, I get these type of questions often. At least once a week, right? Not the asthma question, but why the natural disaster? Or why the, the loss? What, what do I do about the cancer? How can it be that God would allow asthma. It's really the question, what is the heart of God? What is it? Does God truly love me? And when we open to the text of Scripture this morning, 
God tells us this story. It's the story of redemption, the story of reconciliation. It's the story of God's love for me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? The story of the broken world and entering into it, experiencing it, and proclaiming victory through the substitutionary atonement of the cross. That thou, my God, would die for me. You see, this, my friends, is actually what gives us as Christians hope in the midst of struggle. You see, the King Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and now sits at the right hand of God. The victory of Jesus came through what seemed as defeat. What may seem as defeat in this broken world could be the very thing in which God uses you and me to see who Jesus is. Amen. Amen, sister. Verse 16 says this, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. This is our first point this morning from these two verses. Jesus is king, but became a servant for us. You see, the very person who was hailed as the son of David, the king in the line of David only a few days before, is now being thrown into the lion's den, if you will. 600 soldiers and thrown in front of people for entertainment. Verse 15 tells us, That right before this moment of humiliation, Jesus was scourged or whipped. Verse 15, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. He was scourged or whipped with a metal, a whip made of metal and bone which made stripes down his back and his bloodied state. He was placed in a worn out purple robe. Some commentators believe it's a purple carpet in which they throw in front of these 600 soldiers. The purple was a designation of royalty and the reason why it was designated as royalty is because it was extremely expensive Purple came from Tyre, the city of Tyre in modern day Lebanon, and they had to they had to take it from this sea snail. And it was so exceedingly rare as they it took two hundred and fifty snails just to make one ounce of usable dye in which they would put into 
the purple. We have artificial dye in today's world. Well, back in the day, they used to have to crack open a snail, make it sit out in the sun for a long time, and then collect the dye in order just to put it into the clothes. And so it was almost like gold to have a purple-colored shirt or cloak. Some Roman emperors forbid their citizens to wear purple clothing under the penalty of death. And one purple wool or purple coat would cost at least one year's worth of wages. So it was a calling card for the rich and the royal to wear the purple John actually says that it was, it was reddish purple. And so it was this faded purple, if you will, that they placed upon Jesus. Not only that, but then they placed on his head the crown of thorns. The crown symbolizing the ornate head, the authority that has been put in place, often bedazzled in jewels, but Jesus' crown was different. It was the crown of thorns, a symbol of the curse of sin. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, 17, when Adam and Eve have sinned, they've been tempted by the serpent who has now placed himself upon the throne. He said, God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And dust you shall return. So thorns are not only a symbol of the brokenness of our world, the pain and the suffering in our world. It's also the symbol of the dust in which we will return death. So it is this God who created everything and said, it is good in Genesis chapter 1. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the curse of sin comes upon the people. But the king, he became a servant and he took upon himself the curse of sin upon himself so that you could have life. The king becomes the servant. God had made this hidden. 
that the kingdom of heaven would come about through the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, humbling himself to take on the curse of sin and death. And he would usher it in by being the lamb that was slain. Paul tells us that this is how Christ became a servant. Therefore, we are to have the same mind of Christ. This is what he says in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, God is calling his people to the mind of Christ because they have been forgiven and set free. And this is what he says at the beginning of that verse is in verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. So now we get into the application of Jesus taking the crown of thorns upon his head It is the application that now Christ has taken the curse of sin and death and given us new life, eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now he empowers us by the Spirit to live a selfless life. A life that considers others. Oh, the humility of Christ Oh, the ways of God, the humble, exalted, the proud, made low. It is the way of the gospel. It is the way of the kingdom of God. And Christ ushers it in and says, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Look at what I have done for you. Oh, how the Lord loves us. Amen? Jesus is king, but became a servant for us. Verse 18, and they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And as they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. This is our second point this morning. Jesus is worthy of all honor and glory, but became humiliated for us. Jesus is worthy of all honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Amen. Yet he became humiliated. 
for you and for me. You know, on Palm Sunday, we are reminded of the glory of God. We're reminded of who King Jesus is, and yet we see through the passion of we that we may have forgotten who he is. He's worthy of all honor and praise and glory. One of the great stories in the Bible is in the book of Esther. Haman goes into the king's chamber and the king says, what shall I do for the man in whom the king's delights to honor? And he thinks to himself, who would the king delight to honor more than me, right? And so thinking the king will honor him, he says, oh, let the royal robes be brought in. And, and bring in the king's horses and ride them through the square, saying, thus shall it be done for the man in whom the king delights to honor. And the king says, hurry and go and do this to Mordecai. <laughs> Not to Haman. To Haman's sworn enemy, Mordecai. Who happens to be the man that Haman hates. a twist in which happens in the kingdom of God. Much like the rich man and Lazarus. Where the poor man who wanted to eat scraps off the table of the rich man is now elevated and the rich man just wants a drop of water from Lazarus. The switch in the kingdom of God. It's the rich young ruler who has it all, has done all, is seemingly good in the sight of man, but cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yet the poor blind beggar who knows that all he needs is for Jesus and he is healed and enters into the kingdom. God who became flesh. And dwelt among men is now being mocked with a salute, much like they would say, Hail Caesar. Instead, they see, they say, Hail King of the Jews. But in this process, What looked like a defeat, the king was in fact ushering in the kingdom of God. You see, they struck him on the head. But there was a greater picture of what was going on here. Because he was about to crush the head of the serpent. That was promised in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15. That the serpent would strike the heel. And yet the seed of the woman that was the promised Messiah would come. And he would crush or strike the head of the serpent. 
You see, God was at work in this process. God is at work in your process of sanctification. God is calling you back to himself. And he's saying, you have asthma? Come to me. And they did what was probably the most humiliating thing one could ever do to another human, which is to spit on them. It's the very opposite of what was done during this day in the church, later in the church, with greeting one with a holy kiss. Isaiah prophesied that this would happen to the suffering servant. The suffering servant that would bring the healing to God's people. Isaiah 56 says this. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And then they kneel down as a sign of honor and respect, but we know that this was not a sign of honor and respect. But Paul ends his passage in Philippians 2 after he says that Jesus became a servant even unto death, even unto the cross, he says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Jesus. He is worthy of all honor and praise. Yet the creation, mankind, which I am a part of, which you are a part of, the sinful mankind did not recognize the messianic king. The very creator that made all things good has taken evil upon himself for the salvation of the sinner. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. You see, in Revelation, the lamb who is slain is is appeared. They ask the question, who can open the scroll? And the lamb who is slain appears and say, he is worthy to open the scroll. 
This is what he says in Revelation 5, 9, and 10. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see, he's worthy, and he invites People from every tribe, tongue, and nation to reign with him in glory. And thus we honor him with our lives, living for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, submitting our life to him as our King. You see, the world is a very wicked place. Living for the king is not popular in our society today. Living outspoken for your faith is probably not going to go over very well in your workplace. Living outspoken for the king doesn't go over well in your school. Living boldly on mission Ruffles feathers. It divides families. Sometimes it can even bring about humiliation on yourself. And yet, we will honor the king. Why? Because he humbled himself for us. And he is worthy. As David said, we will become more undignified than this. Verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Amen? Yet he bore our sins on the cross. Jesus is Lord, yet he bore our sins on the cross. (laughs) They led him out to be crucified. Now don't get me wrong, Jesus gave his life. He didn't have to go to the cross. He gave it. But before we point the finger at the Roman soldiers and the Pharisees of this day and say, how could they do that? Let us be reminded that it was our sin that placed him there. Peter pointedly says in the sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2.36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He says later on in Acts chapter 3.14, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and you killed the author of life 
whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. Pretty direct. You killed the author of life. Mm. You see, the God of heaven came down to bear my sin and your sin too. And Mark writes this book because he wants us to open our eyes to see that Jesus became nothing so that you could receive everything. It is the gospel message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes upon him may have eternal life. And Can It Be is a hymn written by Charles Wesley in 1738 to celebrate his conversion, which he regarded as having taken place on May 21st of that year. This is a hymn that he wrote. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? The gospel message is all about Jesus taking on the sin and the wrath of God for sinners upon the cross of Christ and granting salvation for those who humble themselves to say, Jesus is my King. He is my Lord. So for those today who are wondering Does God truly love me? Does God truly care about me? The answer is yes. He does. And he has shown his love for you. And he wants you to come to him. We're going to have a time of worship now as we move into a time of prayer in response to the word of God, it's a time for all of us to respond to God's word, however that may be. That may be response in prayer and calling out to the Lord. That may be response in praise and thanksgiving unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords and what he has done for us. That may mean a cry for our neighbor, our loved one who does not know 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That may be for ourselves to cry out to the living God to come and to rescue us from our filth and our sin. To bring about his Holy Spirit into our life. To transform our life. I've, I put a lot of things here because there's a lot of different people in this room. It's not only a one-time response for salvation. It's a heart response unto the Lord. To submit our lives to him, every aspect of that life. There'll be pastors up front that will be happy to pray with you. If you need prayer in any regard in your life, if you need the Lord to come and be your savior and your king, we'd be happy to pray with you about that as well. Let's pray and then you'll stand. Let's stand while we pray. Why don't you stand? Father, we thank you for this this opportunity to hear your word. We thank you for the work of Christ. And Father God, we ask that you would penetrate our hearts through your word, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is here. May we respond with our life full of sacrifice and full of praise because our God is worthy. Lord, we thank you for this gospel which transforms our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need to come forward, you can. We're gonna worship together. Would you lift your voices unto the King of kings and Lord of lords?